I have one housekeeping thing I need to do. Forgive me. I didn't turn the camera on. Could you guys make sure the camera's on? Thank you guys. You're the best. Thank you. I don't want to have to teach it twice. Sorry. So there we go. All right. We have three things we're going to see in Genesis 22, 1 through 19 this morning. We're going to see faith, obedience, and blessing, which you guys are so shocked I didn't use alliteration this week, right? This is just the weirdest week ever. A random part of a book, no alliteration, but this is such a foundational message. We don't have to be cute with it. <laughs> faith, obedience, blessing. This is the process that we see in Scripture for us in Jesus Christ. But let's take a look at this section about faith. Look at Genesis 22, verses 1 through 2. It says, Now it came to pass, after these things, that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. Then he said, Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. I'm pausing it there for context for very like, many reasons. First of all, we want to know where we're at in this thing. It says here, it came to pass after these things. We say, what things have happened in the life of Abraham since like Genesis 12? We have the promises in Genesis 12, 1 through 3, where the Lord calls Abraham and says, Get out from your family, from your father's house, from your country, to a land that I will show you. He says, I'm going to make you a great nation. I will bless you. Those who bless you, I will bless. But those who curse you... They will be cursed. And he says, but go out and do these things. A promise that he would be a great nation. And then as we continue through, we see things. Like he, he went out and obeyed by faith this incredible promise. Remember, Abraham at the time, about 75 years old probably in Genesis 12. And the Lord says, I have something for you to do. Go and leave. And it says in Hebrews 11.8 that, man, Abraham just went even though he didn't know what was ahead of him. I know I hit this a lot, but this is a really basic application I'm going to hit with all of us today. You know my history. I'm a transplant. I now like to say I'm a Texan, but I, I know. I've only been here barely. It hasn't even been three years. But when the Lord calls you, and many of you guys in here are transplants. Show of hands. Who's a transplant? Lots of you guys, right? You know at some point I am trusting. You didn't run from wherever you went because you were panicked, but hopefully it was because the Lord called you. Let me be clear. When the Lord calls you and you commit to it, it can be scary because you're like, I don't know all the details here. <laughs> I'm called to a certain place. The Lord says, go to Texas. Okay? Where, where in Texas? It turns out Texas is huge, right? Where am I going? I will give you more information as you start to step out in these things. Go. Just go. Trust me. <laughs> and then we all know we wind up in these places and we're like, what is the Lord doing? And I look at this body in particular, and we have this conversation often. The men's study, we talk about this often. What did we do without each other before? We are so blessed by this body. But when we all left our church homes before this, there was that sense of like, man, Lord, I don't know if this is a good idea. I like the idea of you doing something new and cool, but I don't really like the process. But do you know that part of the trust is going, he is God and I'm not. His ways are higher than my ways, Isaiah 55, 8 would say. And so I am going, even though I don't know where I'm going, but you are good and you're worthy of my submission. Amen? Amen. And see, so in Genesis 12, Abraham says, I'll go out somewhere. And then in Genesis 15, verses 4 through 5, Abraham's about 85 years old at that point. He's childless. 
And the Lord says, look up to heaven and count the stars if you're able to number them. In other words, there's a lot of stars up there. You can't number them. <laughs> he says, that's how your descendants are going to be. You're going to have children. <laughs> like, I'm 85, Abraham would say. This is not some weird Bible thing where you're like, oh, well, they lived a long time. 85 was 85 in regards to making children, okay? This was a big promise <laughs> that seemed impossible to fulfill. We know that as we read Scripture, at one point, Sarah's like, this is such an absurd thing. Why don't you go over to the maidservant that we picked up in Egypt, Hagar, and that's how you can help God fulfill His promises. Let's make Ishmael. We studied that in Galatians 4, a work of the flesh. Now, the Lord in His goodness still made a great people of Ishmael. We read about that in Genesis 20, 21, and 22. We don't talk about that often. The Lord is good. Even when we mess things up, His grace is just beyond measure. Amen? There's no explanation for that. Now, do we aim to work in the flesh? We just studied Galatians. Absolutely not. <laughs> we aim to walk in the Spirit, and when we walk in the Spirit, we trust the Lord to provide for all things. And see, what eventually happened was the Lord gave that son of promise and said, no, I'm giving you a true son, not one through Hagar, one through Sarah. When she's 90 and you're 100, you're going to have a child. And that child born was Isaac, that son of promise. And we saw that there was conflict, there was strife between Hagar and Sarah, between Ishmael and between Isaac. And the Lord called him and said, you have to send away Hagar and Ishmael. It was still his son. The Lord said, you have to cast him away. But he was a work of the flesh in the sense that that's not the one that's the promised son. Isaac is the one who is the promised son. He was told that throughout Genesis in Genesis 21. And there's a key verse to remember in all of this. That Abraham was accounted righteousness because of his faith. <laughs> Genesis 15, 6. And see, that verse is quoted in Galatians 3, 6, Romans 4, 22. It conveys the fact that it wasn't about Abraham's obedience. But do you know what generally came out of Abraham's faith? <laughs> obedience. <laughs> when you believe something, the rule of thumb is you're going to live by it. Amen? When you believe in gravity, you don't like to jump off buildings. Amen? Why? Because I believe in gravity. <laughs> I am afraid of what's going to happen. When I understand who God is and understand that His Word is made for my, my counsel to guide me to glorify Him, I'm going to say, man, because I believe in the author of this book being the God of the universe, I'm going to walk out and abide in the things that are here. I am saved by my faith in the grace of God. But man, I am blessed to walk in the counsel of the Word of God. Amen? We have to get all that together. The life of Abraham up to this point has not been perfect. There have been times where he's going into Egypt and lying about his wife being his sister, kind of a half-lie thing that was happening there. He does that multiple times. He wasn't a perfect man. But I love that the Lord takes people like this and says, this is the poster child of faith. <laughs> does that not just comfort you this morning? <laughs> That the Lord says, just keep coming back, please. <laughs> keep returning to me and trust me with everything that you have. And you're like, cool, so if I trust the Lord, everything's just going to be easy, right? <laughs> well, we look at verse, what, verse 1 here. After these things, God tested Abraham. 
I don't know about you guys, but I don't like seasons of testing. <laughs> I'm like, I like seasons of coasting. <laughs> I like seasons of just easy blessing. But this word test in the English, it's probably not the best translation here. Because when we hear test, it's almost as if God, we would think God is trying to make Abraham fall. See, it tells us in the book of James, it says specifically, do not say that it's God who is tempting you to sin. That's not the case. That's a different kind of temptation, a different kind of thing. And we're also told in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, that God will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but always makes a way of escape. That means you can't blame God in sinful situations. Oh, God made me do this. He made me tempted into this. This word test here is to try and to prove, like to reveal what the outcome is. Like that outcome is going to show the quality of the faith that's there. Does that make sense what we're talking about? This is not a test where God says, man, I can't wait to make Abraham fail. This is a test. This is, Abraham, I'm going to reveal, first of all, who I am. In this section of Scripture, we're going to find out many things about the character of God. I will tell you, you may have heard me read verse 2, which we're going to get into in a second, and said, man, I am already fearful of this God. I think he's evil that he would call anyone to sacrifice their son like this. I want you to just know this. I'm not going to spoil the story. If you know the ending, you know the ending. But if you haven't heard the ending, I don't want to spoil it. I'm just going to tell you this. By the end of the chapter, you're going to find out God is different than all those false gods that called for human sacrifices, that called for evil, wicked things. He is different. He is good. Amen? You have to know that as we get into this section of Scripture. But it's interesting. Here comes this test. He says, hey, Abraham. Abraham says, here I am. <laughs> Talk about a faith-filled response. I'm just going to ask you, how ready are you to say to the Lord, here I am? When the Lord lays something in front of you and calls you by name, are you like Isaiah who says, Lord, here am I? Or like in Exodus 3 when Moses says, here I am. I'm here, I'm ready to go. Samuel, 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 three times, right? What is he to say? Here I am. Your servant's here. I think the uh, availability of the faith-filled believer creates awesome glory for the Lord. So many times it's like, well, I'll answer the call after I hear the terms and conditions. Abraham gets, hey, Abraham, here I am. This is the thing that many of us struggle in. I'm speaking from experience that I'm still growing in. <laughs> I don't know if I want to answer that call yet. Lord, you haven't laid out all the demands here. The other thing is, he says, here I am, and then the Lord lays out the demands. i got to think, man, if Abraham doesn't say, here I am first, he might hesitate after he hears the demands. <laughs> the Lord is good to say, hey, you trust me? Yeah, here I am. All right, here's what I'm going to call you to do. And in verse 2, he says, take now your son, your son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. And see, again, Abraham had already obeyed the Lord with Ishmael. He cast away the work of the flesh, still a son whom he loved. He cared for. It was his son. But this, this is the son of promise. This is Isaac. This is the one that came through Sarah, 90 and 100 years old. 
And at this point in the story, it's going to use a term, the, the lad in this section. Isaac's probably, at the very earliest, he's a teenager. He could be all the way up to 30 years old in this section. That's important to know. If the movie's running in your head, you don't have a three-year-old Isaac. You probably have a grown man in his prime in this section. And see, Abraham's probably thinking, man, the Lord is so good for 20 years. Thank you, Lord, for your provision in Isaac. This is just the best. I thank you for Isaac. And the Lord says, give me Isaac. I don't know what things you have in your life. You go, I praise God because he's done this thing for me. You know the Lord has every right to say, give me that thing. <laughs> and you still have to serve him. <laughs> you still have to trust him. I will tell you personally, again, I don't like using a lot of personal stories, but it's a weird Sunday, so here we go. I personally had a really hard time with the call to leave the home church I was at, at Calvary Chapel Pomona Valley, because I loved the ministry that I had there. I, loved, I felt like I got to do a little bit of worship. I got to do teaching every week. I got to teach often. I got to be a part of it. I, got to use, I felt like I was using all my gifts, administrative, whatever, and that call came. It's time to leave. <laughs> I was like, I don't think that can be of the Lord. The Lord gave me this ministry, and it's such a blessed thing. This is pretty much, it's becoming my existence. And I think the Lord says, no, you need to lay that upon the altar. I'm your identity. <laughs> Do you trust me that if you surrender this to me, the Lord is able to give you much more than this, as 2 Chronicles 25.9 says. And let me be clear, I'm not talking about money. I'm not talking about a career. I'm talking about everything that came with it was like, man, I have to trust that the Lord is either done with the season, He has something different for me, or He can do something even greater than what I've even experienced so far. That I can trust Him, that He is good in whatever this looks like, even if it's totally different than what I want to do. Do you know who's in charge? <laughs> the Lord. <laughs> And see, you have to be willing to say, I don't understand. This is the thing you've promised me, and I'm blessed by it. And the Lord says, give that to me. This is the test. Do you trust me in everything with everything? I will ask you this morning. You don't have to answer aloud. Do you trust the Lord with everything and anything in your life? This is a heart check for me this week. <laughs> What things have I held on to and said, all right, everything, Lord, but this thing? Do you trust the Lord with your family, with your children, with your career, with your spouse, with your ministry, with everything that you have, with your home? Do you trust and say, I will go wherever you call me and see this is what's wild here. In all this, it's I want your son who you love. Do you know that this is the first mention of the word love? in the Bible. You don't see it for the first 21 chapters. You get here, and this is the first mention of the word, and how fitting is it? It's a father's love for his son who is being called to be sacrificed by the word of God. There's no better way to use that word love in the Old Testament because in the Old Testament, we have the New Testament concealed. And the New Testament is there revealing all these blessed things. And do you know where the first word love shows up in John, the apostle loves gospel? John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. First use of love in John's gospel is about a father giving his son. The first mention of love in Genesis is about a father giving his son. How do you write this book if you're just a bunch of men? <laughs> Spread out over all kinds of countries, different continents, different places. 
and it makes this much sense thousands of years apart in different languages. How do you manage this? This is the theme of the Bible, that God loves us so much that He's willing to give His Son that He would desire that we would trust Him with everything that we have. Amen? And as you do that, you will be blessed with eternal life in Jesus Christ. Amen? Look at 3 through 5. It says, So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. <laughs> this is a big section here because remember, verse 2, go out to the place, the region of Moriah. And that's all he had. That's the, what, what he was told. That's a region. That's a place. It's modern-day Jerusalem is located in the region of Moriah. It's that mount, right? We have all the mountain range that's there. But in this case, he's being told, just go towards Moriah. Now, he was in Beersheba. I believe we have a map for this section. And I think you might actually even be able to see this map. It's not just a picture of a picture. Maybe we have it. There we go. All right, so Beersheba, according to Genesis 21, 31, that's where Abraham was when the call comes here. He's going to make his way up to Mount Moriah. It's about probably 45 miles. Um, they say that that shouldn't take a three-day journey. That should be like a two-day journey, maybe. I do think it's interesting. We see that he arose quickly, and he says, I'm going to do this. I'm getting up. I got up early. I'm saddling all the things. I'm making all my preparations to obey the Lord. I think it's interesting that it took three days. <laughs> I think there's a foreshadowing that for three days, Abraham walked, assuming that his son was as good as dead. And he says, my son is going to be sacrificed on a mountain Moriah, and for three days I'm dealing with the fact that he's going to be dead. And I think that that process that's there also, it speaks of, I think there was some wandering in those three days, because he's like, I know I'm going to Moriah, I just don't know where in Moriah. <laughs> but we're told in verse, in verse 4 that on the third day, he lifted his eyes and he saw the place afar off. So this is interesting, the word that's used here in the Hebrew, it's a word that can mean to perceive. So it's not just that he saw the place, but he says, hey, this is where the Lord's calling me to go. It's a specific spot. It's that actual location on the Mount of Moriah. And so we talked about getting called to come to a place like Texas. The Lord gives you a general call. And then you have to step out in faith initially and just go there. Maybe you did that trip to spy out the land, as we call it, right? You show up and go, where's the Lord calling us? And the Lord gives you a piece at a certain place, and it's almost like you finally see it. It comes together. Abraham was given enough information to go and respond to the Lord, but was being given more info as he traveled. <laughs> I don't know if you guys are like me, but I want the whole picture before I leave. Give me all of the directions. I want no stops. I want no wandering. I want A to B. I don't think the Lord has ever given me an A to B map. <laughs> I don't know about you guys. I usually get like A, B, C, D, Z, Q, and then you wind up back to be where the Lord wants you to be. It's interesting. There's trust that has to happen in that. But imagine that period of three days, the sorrow, the heaviness. I can't imagine what the journey's like. The tension that's there in Abraham. Say, I have to obey the Lord and surrender my son to him whom I love. But in verse 5... He tells the guys that came with him, he says, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship. We have another rule of first word, first mention here. 
There is no place before this where the word worship is used in regards to God of the Bible. This is the first scene where someone is worshiping God, that word that's being used. We know there's other places where they glorified God and they maybe praise God, but in this sense, it's bowing down to God as your master, as your Lord. And see, here's Abraham saying, we're here at this place, we're going to go up, we're going to bow down to the Lord, and I think it's interesting. Abraham, imagine, I want to say fathers, but parents in general in the room. The Lord has told you such a heavy thing. You don't know the spoiler yet. You don't know the end of the story. And he says, I'm going to go worship the Lord now. <laughs> are you able to worship the Lord when he calls you to do things that are difficult, hard, challenging, and things you don't like? Or do we just worship the Lord when everything is easy? <laughs> now, I will tell you, we've all, I know for a fact, we've all been guilty of that. Amen? I am so quick to give the Lord his glory when it's a praise report. <laughs> but man, when I'm being tested in the sense of the trial, in the sense of, man, i got to obey the Lord, and it's hard. I hope that we're able to worship the Lord. And I'm going to tell you, it doesn't have to look like a smile on your face. <laughs> you can go and say, Lord, I don't understand this. This is hard, but I trust you because you're good. And I'm going to go and I'm going to worship you for who you are, despite of the fact that I can't even logically connect the fact that you have given me a promise that in Isaac, this great nation is going to come from my, my lineage. And he's my only son. Ishmael was not technically, in God's eyes, his son that had the promise. Physically, he was a son of Abraham. Isaac is the one who God said, in him, this is how I'm going to fulfill my promise. And you know what we're told? This is wild. <laughs> Hebrews 11, 17 through 19. It explains Abraham's logic. It says, By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, speaking of this section, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise Isaac up, even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. Let me tell you what this means. Abraham says, I have the promised word of God that says, in Isaac, he's going to bring a great nation. Isaac at this point is not married, yet he does not have children. We know that from Scripture. Abraham says, well, God, if you're calling me to go sacrifice him as a burnt offering, you know what that means? You're going to resurrect him and raise him back to life. That's the faith that Abraham had. This is before Jesus has died and resurrected by thousands of years. We are on this side of the cross now. And we have trouble sometimes going, man, I just don't know if I have the faith to trust the Lord. <laughs> Do you get why Abraham's the poster child <laughs> of faith? That's insane. The inherent word of God says, no, Abraham believed that God had the power to raise him up. And he, if he had to, he would to honor his word above his name. You might be in a season right now where you say, the Lord gave me this word, the Lord gave me these promises. And now I feel like I'm going to just get destroyed by the things of the enemy, by the things of my flesh, by the things of this world. And you go, I don't understand. Or maybe you have this thing and the Lord says, I need you to surrender this thing to me. Trust me. And you say, I just can't reconcile all this. Do you understand that it's not your job to reconcile? You've got to trust the word of God. Amen. Trust the word and some way 
as impossible as it may seem, Luke 137 says, for all things with God are possible. Abraham believed that way before Luke was ever written. <laughs> and he says, you know what? I'm going to trust the Lord because of his character. And you say, well, wait a minute. In Genesis, what character did Abraham possibly know about God without all of the counsel of Scripture being written? Let's think about, I don't know, was it Genesis 18 or 19 where he's negotiating with God about not destroying Sodom and Gomorrah? And God says, look at you find some righteous people. I'll, I'll, I'll back off, right? And he says, what if there's 50? What if there's 40? What if there's 30? And they're working all their way down. And what did the Lord do? He did not slay the righteous with the wicked. He's a good God, amen? His ways are higher than our ways. He is just. He is righteous. He is merciful and He's gracious. And His word will always come to fruition. And Abraham knew the Lord honored His word to give me a son. He honored His character by always being just, righteous, and merciful. I can trust if He's calling me to surrender this son whom I love that He gave me. This is His kid, not mine. I'll give him right back. And again, you might be panicked if you're reading this for the first time. I want you to know... <laughs> God is good and always provides the sacrifice for himself. Amen? Look at verse 6 through 8. It says, So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, for his, or I'm sorry, on Isaac his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. Then he said, look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? <laughs> Poor Isaac, right? It's starting to turn here maybe. And Abraham said, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Think about how verse 5 ended. He told those guys, we will come back to you. He believed that God will resurrect Isaac. Even if you guys don't even know, I'm coming back, we're coming back. Me and Isaac coming back down that mountain. But with that faith, you know what he did? He went up the mountain. <laughs> he knew he was coming back down because God is good. But he says, I'm going to go up. And what is he carrying? The, the fire for a burnt offering unto the Lord and a knife to offer a sacrifice. I know. <laughs> we read this. and I, I had this conversation with my wonderful wife again last night. And we were just saying, like, this is 2024. There's a potential that I read this and people get up and leave and go, this is insane that God would call someone to just destroy their son like this. First of all, wait for the whole story. Secondly, do you know what the gospel of the Bible is? That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And can I tell you this? People go, well, okay, so he just like, it's child abuse. He gave Jesus. Jesus is God. God willingly came and provided the perfect sacrifice himself for our sins. You need to understand that the provision is in God. This book never calls us to physically give our children physically to the Lord. Do I have to stress that? Do you know why I stress that? Over the history of mankind, people have misread this section. They read it at a level where they believe what God is calling for them to do is to physically give their children in a form of sacrifice. And that's something that the pagan gods called for. Our God is good. He never calls for such things. What he calls you to do is to yield and surrender everything to him. 
He says, give it to me. Trust me with everything and you won't even know I will provide for what needs to be provided. <laughs> Do we all get that this morning? I have to stress this because I remember a friend in the world who told me they received a brand new Bible and they got 21 chapters through Genesis. When they got to Genesis 22, they closed the Bible and said, I can't serve a God that would call for such things like this. You didn't read the whole thing. <laughs> you didn't read the rest of the chapter. You don't understand what God's going to do. But in this moment, remember, Abraham doesn't have the rest of the chapter yet. <laughs> Abraham says, I'm going to go up. I'm prepared to do this. And there's this conversation that happens. Abraham is going up with Isaac. And Isaac says, my father. And here's Abraham. He says, yes, my son. <laughs> There's this whole back and forth and Abraham is talking to Isaac and Isaac asks him, he says, hey, you have the fire, you have the wood, but where's the lamb? And see, think about this scene. It says that Abraham laid the wood on Isaac to go up the mountain. Isaac, the son, is carrying the wood to be sacrificed upon that his father has committed upon his shoulders. Is there a parallel here? Is this not wild? Thousands of years before, in this very area, in this very region, Jesus Christ is going to bear a wooden cross given to him by his Father who loved him. And at one point in the garden, remember, Jesus was praying. Jesus prayed, if there's any way, let this pass from me. But there's no way. This is the perfect plan of God as he's commanded. In this case, I have to think Abraham is thinking, if there's any other way, let it be. But I'm trusting that the Lord is going to make this all right. Do you know how Jesus was able to bear the cross and go to the shame of the cross? It said because he knew the joy that was beyond it. Hebrews 12, verse 2, I believe it is. He says, because of the joy that was set before him, he endured those things. Abraham says, I trust God, so I'm willing to go up the mountain with my son of promise. And I'm willing to take all the stuff for sacrifice. I am ready to commit this as the Lord would lead. And I think it's interesting. He says, where's the lamb? Remember, Exodus 12 hasn't happened yet. That's another hundreds of years away when the Passover lamb would be given. When you take the blood of the lamb, you put it over the doorway, and that mark would protect you as God's people. Partaking of the sacrifice would keep you safe from that death that passed over, and it surrounded, it was all around a, a lamb, sacrificed. Then you have Jesus Christ, who John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. You see, the Lord always provided a sacrifice. At Passover, He said, here is how you can prevent yourself from partaking in death. You trust in my commanded word. Amen? In the New Testament, all that was pointing to the New Testament of Jesus Christ. You put your trust in the provision of God that is Jesus Christ, you will not taste death. Abraham believed if I give my son over to the Lord, whatever he's going to do, he's not going to taste death. We're going to continue to do the things that God has called us to. I trust him with everything. It's all about the faith. It's all about the trust. And he says, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. <laughs> Look at, again, Abraham doesn't know how this is all going to play out. He thought, God's either going to raise up my son, according to Hebrews, or here he says, God's going to provide a lamb. God's going to provide some way to make this right, and I trust him in however that's going to go. <laughs> I don't know how. 
but I'm going to go because I know his character and I know the blessing of trusting in his word. Amen? Same things we have this morning. You can trust the character of God and you can know that you're blessed to trust the word of God. Look at 9 through 12. It says, Then they came to the place of which God had told him. And Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. He bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, Here I am. And he said, Do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Can we all take that breath of relief right now? <laughs> if you didn't know the story, you're like, he's going to kill his son. And as he's ready to give his son over, the Lord intervenes. And it's just incredible here, because in verse 9, it says, they came to the place, Abraham builds the altar, places the wood in order. He bound Isaac. We see the obedience of Abraham here, right? Obedience despite the fact this is a heavy call from the Lord. And yet, you know what's wild here is the willingness of Isaac. Think about it. We said it a minute ago. Is Isaac like three years old? No. He's a, a, in his prime. He can probably take 130-year-old Abraham in a fist fight. And he says, Father, where's the lamb? Don't worry. God's going to provide something. Trust the Lord. They get up there. Bounds. He, he starts binding Isaac. Isaac's got to be thinking, like, what is happening right now? I don't know. I read it, and I'm like, he's not in on this plan yet. But the father is telling the son, trust the Lord. God will do this. He's going to make it right. And Abraham goes, and he goes to grab the knife. And at that moment, it says the angel of the Lord. You know who we believe the angel of the Lord is in the Old Testament? The son of God who later we know came in the flesh as Jesus of Nazareth. How fitting that the one that would be the lamb for sins interjects says, no, 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 I'm not calling you to do that. <laughs> Stop. I will tell you the importance right now of Abraham having a keen ear to the voice of the Lord. <laughs> How many times? It's like, all right, I know the plan. The Lord's called me to sacrifice. I guess I'm going to go sacrifice him. Boop, tune him out now. Good thing he kept listening to the Lord the entire way. <laughs> I will tell you, don't be so confident that you know the end game. You know the plan. Abraham had no idea, but he said, I'm going to go and obey. And at that point, the character of the Lord came out and said, no, stop right now. And this is the verse in verse 12 that shows everything different about our God. He says, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. You need to understand that in that time, in these regions, human sacrifice was acceptable to pagan gods. Commentators have pointed out that to some extent, Abraham may have been so inundated with the culture around him that he said, well, gods sometimes in other cultures, these fake gods, they call for sacrifice, so maybe my god's the same? No. <laughs> Verse 12 shows our God is different. Amen. Our God is a loving, caring God who says, what I'm calling you to do is trust in me. When you know who I am, it is, you'll realize it's always best to trust in me. 
I will never call you to physically do these things. People that read this and go, physically, I'm called to be like Abraham and physically sacrifice a child, a son, you, you've completely missed the character of God and what the words on the paper say. Amen? It's insane what has happened because of this passage. But when you understand the blessing that is in here, the thing that is concealed in this section is the fact that God says, you can trust me with everything. Have your faith in me and obey me. Your faith should produce obedience because you trust the Lord in all things. And I think it's interesting. Jesus said in Matthew 10, 37, He said, He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. That's a harsh statement to some people, for some people to read. They go, Jesus said that? I thought Jesus was just about love, 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 love everyone. He says, who are you to love first and foremost with all your heart, mind, and soul? The Lord. The Lord Jesus. You love Him and seek Him. It doesn't mean you hate those around you. Jesus at one point uses language to contrast the love that we have for Him and says essentially, unless it's like hate towards your brother and sister compared to your love for me, He's not advocating hatred. He's saying in comparison to your commitment to God, everything else should essentially almost look like the opposite end of that. You need to love the Lord with so much strength, with so much fervor, that you say, He's going to be good and do anything He wants with what I have in my life, and it's going to glorify Him, and His plan is better. <laughs> and what a blessing for Abraham here to go do it, to trust the Lord with his child. And I've said this to many parents who are praying for their children at different times. This is a good reminder. You think you love your child more than anyone else on the planet, and that's probably true, human speaking, right? But you do not love your child more than God loves your child. That's an important statement to remember. When your children are running from the Lord, my kids are little, I'm blessed, I'm in this season where my kids are eight and 10, so I'm like, my big problem is they might lie about something or like eat too many cookies, okay? So I know, I don't have the experience some of you guys have. Some of you guys in here have grown kids that you are heartbroken over because they will not turn to the Lord. And you say, Lord, I love them so much. Do I love them more than you? No. The Lord loves them more than you do. You can trust Him and you can trust that the Holy Spirit is working as you pray for your kids. Amen. And whatever you have in your life and you say, this is too valuable to me to surrender. Do you love that thing more than the Lord? And I'll tell you, when you surrender everything to the Lord, you realize, oh, He's so worthy. He can make just beauty out of ashes. He can give back the years that the locust has eaten. He does everything just to say it's better than what I can do is such a ridiculous understatement. He's the glorious one with the perfect plan, the perfect will. It is such an honor and blessing to be able to say, my Lord, this is yours. I don't know what you're holding on to today and what you're stressed about and you think, man, I have to keep doing this thing, holding this thing. This is my thing. The Lord might be calling you to say, surrender that to me. Now he might take it from you. If he takes it, you can trust him in it. But he might just say, no, I just needed to see if you trusted me with it. You've been making that thing your idol. You've been making that thing your God. You need to surrender to me and I will see that you don't just trust me in the good fulfillments of promise, but you will actually trust me even when it's hard. And I will tell you, what came out of this is just great blessing. <laughs> but it's interesting. God never desires just empty sacrifice. Sacrifice is... Yeah, she said no. That's right. God <laughs> wants us to have a sacrifice <laughs> that costs something. 
that is meaningful. It's so easy to say, oh, dude, I'll give that thing up, I'll give that thing up. What about that thing that you love? And are you doing it because he's your Lord or are you doing it through vain observance? I remember when Samuel approached King Saul in 1 Samuel 15.22. He says, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. The way I'm going to connect this before we move on here is that you might say, Look, I sacrifice the Lord by coming to church every Sunday. That's my sacrifice to the Lord. Are you serving the Lord with sacrifice, that spirit of sacrifice, all week long? Saying, Lord, I'm not just going to show up, lift my hands and worship, but I'm going to open my hands and hold out anything you call from me. It's yours. Anything that you want of me, Lord, I will surrender it to you because I trust you. Or is it just something that maybe we do it when it's easy and convenient in the house of the Lord here? <laughs> I can tell you we can all be guilty of that. We make our church attendance, our church service. That's my sacrifice. Are you trusting me with everything else? Saul said that he was obedient. He wasn't. He was obedient in some little light form on the outward. He didn't have that inward trust. Abraham had that inward faith and trust in the Lord. Look at 13 and 14. It says, Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen for that section. This is a heavy section until you get to like verse 12. And even then you're like, well, what about the offering? The Lord says, no, I'm going to provide an offering for myself. What did Abraham say back in verse 8? He said, the Lord will provide for himself the offering. He knew the character of God. The Lord is the one that needs to provide the thing. I don't even have the right things to even give the Lord what he needs to save me. I am trusting him, but he is the one that has the provision that needs to be sacrificed to satisfy his demands. <laughs> and in this moment... I think it's, I don't know, I, I find this kind of funny, right? He's up there doing this whole thing, getting his sunset and everything. There's just a ram hanging out this whole time, stuck in the bushes? Isaac's like, Dad, come on, dude. Like, are you serious? I don't know how this happened. Was it not making any noise before? Did it suddenly appear? I don't know. But when he wasn't expecting it, he turned around, and there's God's provision on the scene perfectly ready to fulfill the thing that God had commanded. And he says, I brought that there. Abraham didn't bring that up with him. The Lord provided that. Abraham brought whatever he could, and the Lord says, thank you for surrendering that to me. Now I'm going to give you the provision that you actually need. And he goes over and he takes this thing and he sacrifices it. I think this is important. How many people would say, well, oh, I've seen the sacrifice that God has provided. I've heard of the sacrifice that God had provided. Have you gone and taken hold of the sacrifice that God has provided? Abraham didn't go, cool, man, I can just take off now. Isaac, let's go. Leave the ram up here in the thicket. So, no, it has to be sacrificed. You have to come and lay hold of that thing, Abraham. You have to offer it. And it's interesting because there's a parallel here with Jesus Christ and even a parallel with Numbers 21, the bronze serpent. And you might say, what are we talking about? Let me give you a couple verses. 
In John 14, I'm sorry, John 3, verse 14 and 15, let me find the verse for you. Jesus said, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man, speaking of himself, be lifted up, speaking of the crucifixion, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now, when he's talking about the serpent in the wilderness, he's talking about Numbers 21. The children of Israel were disobeying the Lord. They were rebelling against the Lord. And the Lord said, I'm going to send fiery serpents to bite them and kill them. And, of course, Moses is like, whoa, what? Like, this is crazy, right? But the Lord in his goodness says, okay, they've been bit with, by the serpent and the venom should kill them. I will give them a way to escape death. They have to look upon Moses' staff, this wooden thing with this bronze serpent represents judgment and whatnot. If they look at that and believe my word, they'll be healed of the bite of the serpent. Jesus says, I'm like that bronze serpent because I'm going to be lifted up and everyone who's been bit with death by the serpent, if they choose to look upon me, they will be saved. Can I tell you, there were people in Numbers 21 that didn't look at the bronze serpent. And I believe they probably said, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. I got a snake bite. I need anti-venom or something. I don't need to look at something. So many people, they say, I need to look to Jesus? That's stupid. That's silly. And see, the Christ has been lifted up for everyone. You have to put your eyes upon him. You have to take hold of the provided sacrifice, as we would say. And say, this is mine in place of me and my son. Isaac, I love it. It says, instead of his son, substitutionary atonement we're talking about. The fact that Isaac should have died, but instead of Isaac, sacrifice this thing that God has provided. You have to take hold of it, though. And when you believe that the Lord will provide and you go and partake of that sacrifice, you know what you'll do? You'll glorify God and say, man, the Lord has provided. <laughs> That's what he named the place. Do you know what that actually translates from in Hebrew? Jehovah Jireh. The Lord provides. One of those names of the Lord that we talk about. And it says that people knew of that place they would say things, as it says in verse 14, in the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. I think that's cool. It looks back on the fact that God provided for Abraham and Isaac back here, but it's also the place where it shall be provided. And see, the ultimate sacrifice, the true Lamb of God, was given and provided by God the Father as the Son willingly submitted to the Father's plan and said, I will die in the place of everyone else who should have died. And see, Isaiah 53.5 says, By his wounds, by his injuries, by his beatings, that was our, the chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we have been healed. He stepped in and substituted for us. The perfect one, the holy one, the son of God, the one who called out to Abraham and said, Do not lay a hand on the boy. I will provide the sacrifice. He later, 2,000 years, stepped into human flesh and died in that same place for the sins of mankind. But if you don't want to look upon it, you don't want to take hold of it, it's not going to do anything for you. You have to be willing to say, that's my sacrifice and I am willing to obey the Lord and worship Him for it. Amen? Look at the end here. We're just going to 19. So look at 15 through 19. It says, Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven 
and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies." In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they rose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham dwelt at Beersheba. What an incredible section. We have faith, obedience, and out of that came blessing. We are always blessed to obey the word of the Lord. Amen? We should know that, man, when the Lord lays out His Word in, in the Word of God, when He leads us by His Spirit, we should be ready to yield to that. And in this case, I love it that this, the angel of the Lord, God the Son, says, By myself I have sworn, I promise, because you've trusted, because you've yielded, because you've done this thing. He says, now what's going to happen? <laughs> he says, you, you haven't withheld your son. He says, I'm going to bless you. He had already received these promises in Genesis 12, in Genesis 15. But now the Lord is reminding Abraham again, you've shown, you trust. The promises are going to come as you trust. If you don't trust the Lord, can I tell you, you may not walk into the promises of God that He has for your life. You say, whoa, that sounds like legalism. I'm talking about blessing, not salvation right now. Your salvation comes through grace by faith. Amen? Your faith should lead to an obedience, and that obedience will produce blessing. God has prepared good works for you to walk in, according to Ephesians 2.10. If you walk opposed to those things, do you think that God's going to bless His Word? You walked totally opposed to the Word of God. I'm just going to bless you in that? Man, you are always best and better to walk in the Word of God. And then the Lord does this awesome thing in His grace where He says, not only am I going to spare you from destruction as you obey the Word in this life as you're living temporally in this world, I'm going to promise you blessings, reaffirm the things that I've told you, because I am good, the Lord would say. <laughs> he says, you obeyed my voice, but you could never generate for yourself a great nation. That's grace. It's good for you to obey, but I'm going to go beyond that. I'm going to bless you so mightily. He says, like the sand on the seashore. That's a lot of, that's a lot of sand, right? <laughs> he says, this nation, Abraham, it's going to be huge. It's going to be great. It's going to have power over its enemies. When you go to conquer the land, you're going to get the land. I'm going to lead you in these things, but the greatest promise here in verse 18, he says, in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. And you might read that and go, okay, we're talking about Isaac now, right? His seed. Well, to some extent, obviously, we know we're blessed by that lineage that came through his seed, Isaac, because that's the Jewish people that gave way and gave birth to Jesus Christ, the Messiah. But the commentary of Paul in Galatians 3, verse 18, said that that seed that was being referred to, it is Christ, the Messiah. See, Abraham trusted the Lord, walked in his promises, and God says, through your lineage, I'm going to produce the Savior of the world. <laughs> That's how you'll be a blessing to everybody. <laughs> 
Abraham, a guy that once was lying to people about things, <laughs> a guy that, that, that was taking matters into his own hands, walking in the flesh at times, but his faith as he obeyed and repented and trusted in the Lord, the Lord says, I'm going to do mighty things through your life that glorify me and fulfill my word. <laughs> is that not what we want in our life? I hope that your reason for following the Lord is not so that you get glorified and get the things that you want. <laughs> I hope that you realize your job is to surrender all things to the Lord. But as you do that, whatever that looks like, He's going to be glorified and that's what you were created for. <laughs> that you would glorify your Father in Heaven through the way that you live according to Matthew 5.16. This is what we are made for. And when we do that, there's joy. We talk about obedience as the joy of the believer. It keeps you from destroying yourself as you walk in the counsel of the Word of God. It leads you into righteousness. It leads you to do the things you were made for. And in this case, he says, because you've obeyed my voice, man, you're going to know blessing. And I think it's funny, again, at 19, it says, Abraham returned to his young men, and he came down with Isaac. What did he say back in verse 5? He said, stay here. The lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. His faith, man, it came to fruition. He comes back with his son, and as Hebrews 11 said, it's as if his son had been sacrificed up on the mount. On the third day, he came back with him, alive. <laughs> Foreshadowing Jesus Christ. <laughs> I do have to wonder about the walk home at this point, if Isaac's like, what in the world was that, right? I don't know. I, got, I, I have to leave you with a little bit of comic relief there, right? You're like, oh, this is a heavy story. It's incredible, though. The Son yielded to the Father according to God's perfect plan. And it brought blessing. It brought joy. It brought essentially what seemed like a resurrection in a spiritual sense. The fact that God says, you, you essentially, Abraham, you sacrificed him to me. That's the language, the verbiage that's used throughout Scripture. Abraham sacrificed his son. Did he physically sacrifice him? No. But in his heart... He was willing to give him over to God. And God says, I see your heart. I don't look at the physical things. I look at your heart. And because of that, here he is. I've resurrected him in, sense, in a sense. He's alive because I'm going to fulfill my promised word. Amen? So, look at Here's the deal. I studied this section this week and I said, man, how do we not partake in communion this morning? considering that sacrifice that the Father gave His Son, that God the Father says, I am going to save them through my provision, the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. Amen? And so, I just want to remind you this morning that God has made us a blood-bought family through the giving of His only Son, Jesus. And see, our faith in His provision, this is what grants us eternal life. And man, we can trust we can trust the Lord that, man, He magnifies His Word above His name. Psalm 138.2. And see, I think it's great because we know that God gave His Son for us and He's promised us salvation. And as we've experienced now the filling of the Holy Spirit as we've received, as Ephesians 1 talks about, we know that this is just a glimpse of the fact that the Lord has such great things in His promised Word for us in eternity. Amen? And it's not by our works. It's by His provision. Amen? But our faith is what receives that sacrifice, that grace of God. And we're told in Romans 8.32, it says, He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall we not with Him also freely give us all things? How will He not give us all other things? If He's given His Son, He can promise to give us His kingdom. <laughs> That's going to be an eternity in glorification. Amen? 
But what we're called to do now, and what we're going to do this morning, we're going to distribute the elements while Brandon leads a little worship for a minute. We want to remember the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. It was 2,000 years later on that mountain that Jesus, the Lamb of God, arrived. As Galatians 4, 4 through 5 says, it says, But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons and daughters. <laughs> and see, just as Abraham said, Man, I don't even know how this is going to work. Suddenly there's provision. The Lord gave him exactly what was needed for that moment. Just when people said, man, when is the Messiah coming? How is this going to happen? Suddenly Jesus arrived, but it was in perfect timing to God's perfect plan. Amen? And as Jesus willingly submitted to the Father, He went to the cross to die in our place. And today we remember, as Isaiah 53, 5 says, right? He was wounded, bruised for our iniquities, wounded for our transgressions. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. And see, it was prophesied 750 years before Jesus was born. It was demonstrated 2,000 years before Jesus was crucified that God will always provide the lamb that he requires. Amen. And so this morning, we're going to partake of the, of the bread, of the cup. Hold on to it, and we'll partake together. I'm going to have Brandon lead a song or two while we distribute the elements, and we'll come back together. But just hold on to the elements.